Hey folks, welcome to episode number 11 of Josh's Worst Nightmare Podcast presented by Denver Horror Collective. I am your host, Josh Schlossberg, surveying the dark landscape of biological horror fiction. For this episode, we have Holly and Henry Snyder, two for one. Holly Snyder is a founding member of the Colorado Springs Fiction Writers Group and a founding member of Fiction Foundry. This child of the muses balances her time between writing, lecturing, and editing. She enjoys shooting, spending time with her family, and exploring the mountains around her home. During the last two decades, Henry Snyder has dedicated his time to helping others tighten their writing through critique groups, classes, lectures, prison prose programs, and high school fiction contests. He co-founded Fiction Foundry and Colorado Springs Fiction Writers Group. While still reserving enough time to pursue his own fiction aspirations, he continues to be active in the writing community through classes, editing services, and advice. They're also both uh, Denver Horror Collective active members on the steering committee. And Henry had a short story taste in our Terror at 5280 Horror Fiction Anthology for Denver Horror Collective. And he also did the layout for that. And both Holly and Henry were the editors of Consumed, Tales Inspired by the Wendigo, a horror fiction anthology from Denver Horror Collective, uh, just put out this last year. So welcome to my nightmare. Thank you. It's nice to be here so far. Good. Yeah, so far, progresses. Yeah, don't speak too soon. You'll see. So I might, have to, might have to pinch myself and wake myself out of it. We'll see. It might, it might need to happen. But uh, yeah, the thing is, when you die in a nightmare, you die in real life, right? So that's, be that's what I'm afraid of. <laughs> be careful here. So for folks who aren't aware, for every episode, I invite on horror creators to talk about an aspect of biological horror, which is basically living creatures, vital processes, something relevant to their writing. For this episode, we're going to talk about pretty much everyone's favorite topic, which is cancer. So why... Are we talking about cancer? Um, cancer has been um, a big influence in my writing just because I've had so many friends and family members that have come down with that uh, awful disease. My grandmother actually passed away from uh, pancreatic cancer and just watching that happen it's just it's horrifying to to see somebody go from somebody who's so vibrant and full of life and everything like that all of a sudden laying in a hospital bed not able to do anything so that's always been a big influence um you know and not cancer in every story but other diseases or other kinds of monstrous takeovers of the body i guess you could call it mm -hmm. um and it actually led to one of my very first stories that ever got published which is called muted and was in an anthology called bleed that was a charity anthology uh to benefit the national children's cancer society mm. and there were a lot of really great authors in there with it too but um that's what really started the whole being able to get published thing, believe it or not. I, I owe my publications to cancer. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah. But it's just a huge, huge influence because it seems like 
every time I talk to a family member or a friend, it's <clears throat> this person that I know or this family member, even if they're, you know, a second or a third cousin has come down with this, that, or the other form of cancer. So it's just always there in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I think in many ways it's the essence of biological horror, right? Because it's a disease and I'm no doctor, obviously it's a disease, but it's our own cells overproducing. So it's like an abundance, an overabundance of life. So it's not necessarily some foreign matter that's coming in, although right. we don't know. Sometimes it's thought that viruses might cause cancer. Sometimes it could be toxic chemicals, sometimes stress. We don't know. But it's our own insides making cells a good thing. Thank you. That's mm -hmm. what keeps me alive. No, I'm going to make too many. And now you're dead. That's yeah. scary. Talk about being killed with kindness. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. And it's like what our own body is doing to ourselves. But you had mentioned, of course, the wasting away that an individual often experiences. Oh, of course, we do have medical situation these days where most cancer is curable, which is an excellent right. thing. But it's the watching of others experience it. And yeah, I'd be curious. So Henry, have you ever with that? You don't have to get into all sorts of personal details or anything like that. But the idea of I know in, in your field, you're aware of, of basically things that other people are going through. So the impact of sort of seeing that out in the world or with others or close to you, have that, has that affected you at all or your writing? Oh yeah. I'm, I'm happy to share personal aspects. It's uh, I tell stories. That's what I do. So uh, I'll try not to take too much time, but I'll give you a little interesting story that someday I'm going to write in some aspect. Uh, my mother was born in the 1940s, and in the early 50s, uh, my grandfather was a gambler, among many other things, and they were on their way out to Las Vegas, and he was notorious for taking shortcuts. So he was on a dirt road in the middle of the night, no idea exactly where they were, just knew if they were going in the right direction. Everything turned into daylight from the middle of the night, and then within five minutes, uh, there were military jeeps all around them with guns drawn, trying to find out how they got there and why they were there. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, my mom said apparently they had actually come very close to testing grounds. Uh, um, in her early 30s, nuclear testing, nuclear grounds. testing grounds. Yeah. <laughs> now, if you're exposed to a nuclear blast, that sort of thing, the first thing that can be damaged and passed on is damage to your thyroid. So in her early th uh, 30s, she had to have part of her thyroid removed. Mm -hmm. And uh, she had told the doctor, uh, you know, the entire story when she was little because they were trying to figure out, you know, why she would have it. Uh, and they said to actually make sure that she told me. And just a couple of years ago, although this is an audio podcast, you can't see under my beard, I've got a nice little scar across my throat where they had to take half my thyroid. Mm. So... Uh, we've told my son he needs to watch his thyroid. Yes. So uh, I have a first-hand account. It was cancerous. So we're glad that they removed it. It went from a very small growth to how big was it? The size of a golf ball? Right it, was, it had a four millimeter diameter when they were finally able to take it out in the span of when they first discovered it to when they took it out was three months. So it was a huge tumor at that time and it was very fast growing 
Mm-hmm. But uh, so, yeah, it happens. <laughs> so uh, has that affected my writing? I've been writing longer than I had that little story. Uh, the concept of uh, something inside of you growing that you can't control. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a little bit of a nightmare for me just in general. Yep. Uh, I mean, you see it in movies that I'm not sure you'd call it cancerous. In the early 80s, they had a movie called The Beast Within where um, a person essentially transformed into another one. But the way his body acted in the first half of the movie was it was like a cancerous growth that was taking over his mind and over his body. And then he yeah. had a physical transformation later and turned into a beast. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how many monsters are psychologically or unconsciously tied into the whole con- cancer thing. I mean, so there's the the toxic Avenger, right? So those trauma yeah. movies, that's pretty clear what's going on there. It's a pretty absurd version of it. But do you think maybe a creature like, so the Wendigo, right? So that comes from Native American folklore and you all did the, uh, you edited the anthology Consumed Tales Inspired by the Wendigo. Do you think there's any chance that some aspects of that creatures like that, maybe if not Wendigo specifically, do tie into cancer scares somehow in the back of our mind? Absolutely. There was one story uh, that was submitted that we ended up ultimately having to reject just because the, the, the plot was really good, but the, the writing chops just weren't there to quite pull the story off. But it was based on, it wasn't cancer per se, but it was essentially a tumor that was the Wendigo that was trying to consume somebody from the inside out. Hmm. So, you know, and one of the things that when we put out the call, you know, I, I didn't want the typical Wendigo stories. I wanted things where it was an interpretation where a disease could be the Wendigo or an environmental spill could be the Wendigo, those kinds of things. So I think it plays into that a lot more than we realize in the backs of our minds that people don't even realize that they're connected until somebody points it out to them. But yeah, absolutely. Cancer could be uh, viewed as as a Wendigo-esque type situation because you are being consumed from the inside out, quite literally. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not going to put you guys on the spot here, but can you and i'll try to think of any horror fiction that really does utilize cancer in a central way because i have to admit i can't think of a ton of stories that do and if we can't i think and we're all pretty proficient in that genre Mm -hmm. why why aren't there many because let's say for a fact even if we can come up with a few there aren't a ton that really tackle that topic but that's so perfect for horror. Why aren't there more horror fiction books, movies tying into the cancer theme? Well, just to throw a book out there so we have something to play off of, Stephen King's Thinner. Okay, I haven't I haven't uh, read that. Uh, just a real quick uh, rundown of it. Uh, it's a gentleman, he and his wife are having a little fun while he's driving down the road. And he accidentally kills a gypsy. Okay. And he gets cursed. And he's a big, he's a big guy. I mean, it's I, I, I'm 295 and he makes like two of them. He's a big guy. 
And all of a sudden, the weight just, uh, when he's cursed, the gypsy just says the word thinner. And he starts losing weight like 10 or 15 pounds a day. And so uh, he wasn't innocent in this aspect, obviously, but he's been essentially cursed to death. And it's him trying to find a way out Mm. of literally wasting away uh, from a cancerous curse. So that's the only one I can think of right off the top of my head. That's a good one, though. Because there are only so many wasting diseases that do that. And cancer is obviously one of the biggest yeah. ones. So yeah, that's a good call. That probably is at least consciously or maybe unconsciously influenced by cancer. So that's yeah, definitely you're wasting disease. Your wasting diseases are essentially cancer and tuberculosis. <laughs> right, right. For the most part. Well, there's then there's chronic wasting disease. My favorite disease that is the zombie deer disease. But that's for another, oh, pod- yeah. Yeah. another podcast. Yeah, for that. That one <laughs> but yeah, cancer for but- sure. My feeling people shy away from it right? For, for one of two reasons, in my opinion, they either don't know how to handle it and feel that they would end up being disrespectful to people that do have cancer or cancer survivors or friends and family of people that had the disease. It's either that or it's too personal. It's way too personal to write about. And for me, I don't shy away from it, which is why I ended up writing Muted because it was it was written probably about two years after my grandmother passed when I was finally able to process everything. Sure. But I don't shy away from it. Do I worry about it being disrespectful? No, because it's my own personal experience. If you think my personal experience is disrespecting you that's on you (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I think it's my personal feeling is it's probably one of those two with leanings towards it's too personal Mm -hmm. and it brings up too much inner emotions and too much personal emotion to deal with it and then they end up reliving that nightmare all over again yeah I think you're right on with that the fear of people being disrespectful, I think is a lot of it for sure. But as I've recently been discussing around the elder horror genre, so tying into my recent novella, it's interesting how I managed to mention that in every podcast, but um, just so happens, but it's worth mentioning. It's a good novella. It ties into the topic. So, so the idea of maybe we don't have a lot of elderly protagonists because it makes people uncomfortable because it is too close to home. Whereas a lot of times we tend to use horror fiction as that proxy, right? Like during the early stages of the pandemic, when I was like, I don't even know what's going on. I was watching basically World War II stuff. I'm like something that's definitely worse as a way to distract. So I think we're more comfortable with like giant spiders than child molesters in a book, right? So cancer is too maybe on the nose for a lot of folks. Well, if you really think about it, I personally can't think of one adult that I could ask who hasn't had somebody die of cancer or experience cancer treatments. So where you say it's it's too close, I, I, I think you're both spot on. Uh, at, at the end of the day, we've all had a personal experience at one point or another uh, having to do with it. And the best we can hope for is the words, I'm in remission, which means they either A, can't find it, or it's just gone to sleep. 
That's the best we can hope for other than, you know, like what happened to me where they literally excise it. They take it out of your body. Right. Yeah. The concept of remission is basically like the ending of most horror movies. Like, ah, Jason is dead. Is Jason really dead? And uh, I don't think they've made a Jason movie in a while though. Right. So maybe Uh, they did Friday the 13th killer cut with one of the guys from supernatural. And it was, Hmm. uh we don't talk about that (laughs) (laughs) that doesn't that doesn't count in the in the trilogy or not the septilogy i don't even know how many they're they're on at this yeah it's it's kind of like highlander too we ignore it didn't happen it was a bad dream (laughs) but i but i'm not suggesting that the people who made friday the 13th were using an analogy of cancer remission but i think that idea of a thing that always comes back i mean that's a scary thing and then there's the idea of the whole it being genetic and hereditary so there's i mean we don't have to go very far i'm just i'm getting uncomfortable talking about this stuff i can talk about like the worst stuff in the world and i'm like this is this i get why no one i was like asking at first why does nobody write about this and i've never written about it either and so well, I did have one one book where there was a character who's was based on a close fam- family member of mine who was dealing with that in, in the in the character's life, but not the character itself. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a difficult, uncomfortable thing. So maybe the best way to get at it is the way that has been happening, which is sort of tangentially or through some symbolic other creatures. So maybe it, the yeah. initial hypothesis is no one's writing about cancer it's like well maybe a lot of people actually are well if we look at society now uh let's use chernobyl for an example sure um we ended up with after that horrible accident uh at pripyat um we ended up with horror movies like the chernobyl diaries which i admit is a guilty pleasure it just is um and uh the haunting of pripyat um some ghost stories that sort of thing but it took until uh recently i think it was only two or three years ago that they actually did a doc a true full-blown docudrama on the events that happened there because with the society i mean i make jokes with my wife as i jump sideways where uh i don't like watching dramas i don't like watching uh news feeds because if i want to be depressed i can walk outside If I'm going to actually sit down and turn on what I lovingly call the idiot box, I want to be entertained, right? Which means I don't want to sit there and watch how, um, you know, hey, you're you're taking in so many carcinogens by eating this or doing that, that you know what, you're going to get cancer by the time you're 60. Sorry, dude. Uh, I don't want to see that. I, I want to be entertained. And I think that's one of the reasons that we dodge cancer so much is it's, as I mentioned before, it's too close to home. Yeah, well, basically, life causes cancer, it seems like. So exactly, not much you can do. But I'm curious what you all think about can zombies be seen as an analogy for cancer that's just mindless spreading growth? Um, as a hive mind, I would say yes. Mm. Uh, if you take on the hive mind mentality that you know, they're all searching for the same thing. They're, uh, they're non-cannibalistic in their aspect because once a human has become a zombie, uh, they don't uh, feed on each other. They feed on you know, the rest of humanity. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, uh, it, you know, if we want to take it to the literal definition. Yeah, I'd say so. If we look at them as a hive mind. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it just occurred to me. See, I, I've never thought of zombies as an analogy for cancer. Mm -hmm. I have, however, thought of vampires as an analogy for cancer. Oh, where, so? you know, you have the, the master vampire or your main cancer cell and he or she goes out there, bites somebody else, yeah. turns them into a vampire. Well, now you have two cancer cells mm -hmm. and then they go out and now you have four and it's exponential right. that they are turning this, you know, that they're turning society into what they are, which is exactly what cancer cells do. Yeah. The cure is exciting. That's right. <laughs> the ex. Yeah, the, the cure is like, so it's basically a stake through the heart or exactly radi yeah. radiation is the sunlight or something like yeah. that. <laughs> so I, I've looked at vampires as an analogy for, for a cancerous growth, but I've never thought of zombies that way. Yeah. Yeah. The I guess the question is, what are we trying to use horror fiction for? In my mind, sometimes, of course, just fun, right? It's fun, the thrill, the fun. I don't downplay that at all. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I encourage it. I, I fully indulge in that. But sometimes I think it has a therapeutic purpose, almost a, a vaccination against fear, right? So we get used to little fears so we can handle other things. But then that idea of dealing with a thing in a, in a way that we can accept it stage by stage. And I think disease is at least for somebody like me that that's what I think about. So I come from like basically the, the Jewish tradition of like hypochondria. Right. And I'm, I'm not real bad with it, but it's like, that's always in the back of my mind. It, it's like yeah. a sniffle. Well, obviously COVID because what, why else do you sneeze? And it's, yeah, it's never that, but so that's always kind of in the back of my mind and I, and I'm aware of that stuff. And so part of, there's there's a fixation on stuff that we can do and then we can have this avoidance thing right we're like well, like i'm not going to ever think about any of these things we neither of those are healthy right so the question i guess i would have is is can horror kind of be a way of sort of coming to terms with just basically the the biological horror that being a, a human is with with cancer being kind of close to the top of the list. Do you guys see horror fiction as almost that catharsis or not really? For the most part, when I write, it is very cathartic for me. It is working through issues that I may not be able to deal with any other way because I can take whatever the issue is and I can assign it to somebody else, which means that since I've assigned it to somebody else, even if that person is fictional, mm. means I'm not dealing with it anymore. Mm -hmm. Now I get to play God and direct how they deal with it and how they come about, come through it and what their solutions or motivations or obstacles are. So it makes it easier to work through it because rather than dealing with it, I'm watching it, so to speak. So for me, probably 99% of my writing is very cathartic that way and lets me work through a lot of issues. And, you know, in the, if I get to freak some people out and as, as a bonus, well, that's a bonus. <laughs> mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I guess the question is what do most people 
come to read horror from. So as horror writers, we're coming at it from a different angle. My guess is that, and I'd be curious what you think, people aren't like, oh, cool, horror book. This, this is going to help me come to terms with such and such, right? But, but do you think that's maybe somewhere in the back of their mind when they pick up and what's on my bookshelf here, randomly looking at something called uh, Venom about snakes? Do you think there's anything in the back of their mind or, or are people just doing it for a thrill when they read horror? So actively working towards desensitization, whether they realize it or not. Or any any of those things, like like literally utilizing the genre almost as a self-help or just a way of understanding the world the way we would. We pick up a, a, a book of Kant. I don't read Kant, but like, let's say I did. Okay, let me make sense more of the world. You're rarely thinking, okay, hey, Stephen King, I, help me come to terms with my existence. But do you think maybe there's a small part of horror readership that is kind of looking to help make sense of the darkness of which cancer is certainly one of them? Or is that oh, I could much? see that. Um... I mean, for myself, you won't see me willingly, you know, reading a book on spiders. Um, everybody has their phobia. I spent my youth in a swamp. Uh, yeah, spiders. I explain to people, you don't know fear until every night when you go to bed, you've got to shake your pillowcase out because you see it moving. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't do spiders. Uh, but I could see people, you know, reading different aspects of horror or watching different aspects of horror to... Uh, try to process death and the concept of our own mortality mm, right and obviously there are going to be certain topics that that's not for me and i don't think the idea is like no force yourself to look at the thing that you find most horrifying i don't know if that's always the answer but yeah the death thing right of which i mean if you got cancer and it made you immortal basically vampirism it wouldn't be that bad right but of course it's the fact that cancer can kill you so becoming to terms with death. But so what, what do you think, Holly? Do you think even if people aren't consciously turning to the genre to deal with these sorts of deeper issues, do you think maybe that's somewhere in the back of their unconscious mind? I think it ends up in the back of their minds. Okay. I think a lot, the reason a lot of people go toward horror is because they're thinking, you know, they pick up a horror book, they think, oh, this concept is interesting. But I think it's a lot more of, you know, hey, my life sucks, but it doesn't suck as bad as this guy in this right. book. Right. And then they read it and they they feel better about their own lives, such like that. But then it gets in the back of their mind about the these horrific aspects. And, you know, maybe because I'm a big believer in a lot of the fate and such like that. I don't really believe in coincidence. And because I personally tend to pick up a lot of books to read that have some aspect of what I'm going through in my own personal life to help me deal with it, which is exactly what you're saying. I think a lot of people can do that subconsciously, but I think the the surface motivation is, hey, my life sucks, but it doesn't suck as bad as this guy. Sure. So I'm going to read about his because his life is worse than mine and it makes me feel better about myself. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I mean, with my writing, I don't necessarily try to cram messages in. They sort of end up fitting in there later. But what do you all think about on the craft end, the idea of 
I have an idea, I have a concept, I have a ideology or even a morality. Hey, that's part of me. I'm going to include that in my writing versus this is just a pure story. Like which, which should lead? Should it be one or entirely the other? What do you think about that? Personally, I don't put a lot of messages in my writing either. They just kind of, at least not intentionally, you know, they do end up there, but it's not intentional because I think that if I tried to do it intentionally, it would not end up being a work of fiction that somebody could lose themselves in, right. but it would end up being a lecture or a sermon um, and end up coming across very, very preachy. Mm -hmm. Hey, here's my personal belief on this, that, or the other thing. And here's why you should believe it too. And, you know, if you put it in there subconsciously or, you know, just kind of sprinkle it in there unintentionally mm -hmm. readers will pick up on it on some level but if you put it in there and you're just punching them in the face with it you're not going to sell another book to that reader or another short story because readers want to escape they don't want to be preached at so my recommendation is mm -hmm. if you want to preach a message write it call it nonfiction. <laughs> right so if somebody wrote a book like my whole thing is to show people that such and such causes cancer and I'm going to put it into a horror thing. It's like, you better have a really great story characters that needs to be the, the mechanism. And then, okay, you want to tell a thing about cancer, but that ends up being maybe subverted compared to right. the plot and all that. Um, I mean, I, I'm going to say a bad series that people tend to love uh, as an example. Uh, I'm a huge Shirley Jackson fan um read the i've read most of what she has uh haunting of hill house being my favorite the 1962 uh version uh is beautifully done it's excellent yes it's black and white but it actually adds to the story they remade it in 1999 but we're not going to discuss that they did i think it was on netflix that they did a single season tv series right and uh i wish they just changed the name Yes. because by itself it would have been an okay tv series mm -hmm. but they literally grabbed authors names character names shoved it all in here and they were so busy uh giving salutes to the book right. and the original movie that uh, quite literally when i'm trying to sit and enjoy their re-envisioning of it it was like I used the crane name. Did you get it? Did you get it? Did you get it? And it's like four or five times every episode. And I was like, you're actually ruining the series. And I think it would have been much better if they had just named it something else. But uh, the concept of the house itself going off the original 1962 black and white, um, the house itself is a cancer mm. and essentially eats the weak. Mm. And it is done in such a great way because nothing is explained. Mm. You know, we don't know why we get cancer. We know what will increase your odds. Mm. You know, smoking a, a fantastic stogie. <laughs> oh, God, I miss cigars. Uh, <laughs> you know, will increase your chances. Unless um, you're George Burns. Unless you're George Burns, you know. Who... <laughs> and it's fine. Exactly. And he smoked how many cigars a day for how many decades? Uh, too many. <laughs> so... Um, but I mean, there's aspects where even houses, I would say, are cancers. 
Um, uh, another one that uh, falls into real life, we don't even have to uh, go to fiction for it, is the Winchester Mystery House. Hmm, not familiar. Uh, oh, if you're not familiar with the Winchester Mystery House, uh, look it up. Uh, it's the Winchester family who made the rifles. And uh, I forget the woman's name. I'm horrible with names. But uh, she went to a medium and she was told that she was, if she wanted to live, she had to continue building the Winchester House. Huh. And she never spent two nights in the same room. Uh, and it was so that she could hide from the ghosts of all the natives that were killed with the rifles. Not oh, just the natives. Okay. Anybody that was killed with a Winchester rifle was said to be haunting her. Right. And I mean, on its own, it's just, it's a really creepy story. The house is immense. It's amazingly huge. Um, and it's in California. It, tours can be taken. They have essentially doors that lead to nowhere, staircases that just go up into the wall. Um, it, it's, it's an Escher nightmare is what it is with a good coat of paint. Yeah. And so if people are looking for something different, you can look it up. They have partial video tours you can find on YouTube. Uh, there, there's a lot on it. And uh, it was some of the inspiration for The Haunting and some of these other immense haunted houses. Stephen King's Rose Red was based on the Winchester house. Uh, but, you know, that that's a real life nightmare that I'm not sure I call that one a cancer, but the Shirley Jackson novel, The House, was definitely cancerous. Yeah, I like that analogy. Oftentimes I think of the house, the haunted house, it's kind of just the caverns of the human mind, the psychology, but I think the cancer metaphor ties in really well. And it's that opponent you can't see. And that tends to be the scariest one versus like, oh, there's the giant snake. All right, there it is. Let's go versus this thing. Yeah, it, it keeps growing. You don't even know how to fight it. It's a, it's a horrifying topic, of course. And I guess, I don't know if there's going to be a whole subgenre launched from this podcast of uh cancer horror probably <laughs> hopefully not i i'm actually thinking but uh anyway i was really glad to have you two on but before you go tell me both what are you all working on and where can people find your stuff um so i am working on a couple of short stories and i've got six different novels that I'm working on right now, one of which you're, you're familiar with, which is my own haunted house. Yes. Uh, one that I'm working on that I kind of got stuck on. Um, and then I have a four book series uh, based on uh, witchcraft from colonial times up through present day, tying in with the, the full moon, blood moon cycles. And then I've actually got one that was inspired to me while we were working on the Wendigo series that's based on the Celtic and Catholic Sin Eaters. Cool. So, and uh, as far as where to find stuff, the big Amazon beast right now. <laughs> sure. Speaking of cancer. Uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Speaking exactly. of cancer, you can find mine on the Amazon beast. How many bookstores did it kill? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, as for me, uh, I'm coming off a hiatus. Um, I had nine publications last year that were short fiction. Yeah. Uh, I've got one novel I'm finally cleaning up and finishing off and another that's mostly done. Uh, the first one, Drive-In Feature, again, just like Holly's, uh, you're familiar with parts of it, which uh, deals with essentially cursed soil, cancerous soil, mm -hmm. uh, ranging from post-Civil War, it's in southern Kansas, up through modern day. And 
It touches on uh, a lot of racism, uh, some of the mid-events because we take place in three time, uh, three eras. One of which is right after the Chicago riots in the late 60s. Uh, one is present day and it just has to do with a corrupting evil. So uh, I'm just now jumping back into it. As I said, I took about a half a year off, a little more than just to kind of recharge my batteries. Life catches us all. It was just my turn at that. Yep. Yep. Well, all that stuff sounds really awesome. And I'm really glad you could come on. And yeah, I hope you keep putting your nightmares out into the world to help feed my nightmares. So thank you. And uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you okay. so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for taking a trip with me through Josh's worst nightmare, where I, Josh Schlossberg, survey the dark landscape of biological horror fiction presented by Denver Horror Collective. If you don't want to miss any of the great, and sometimes disturbing, weekly episodes I've got planned for you, be sure to subscribe to Josh's Worst Nightmare on a variety of podcast platforms. You can also sign up for Josh's Worst Nightmare e-newsletter at joshsworstnightmare.com, where I share a whole squirming mess of bio-horror, including my infamous haiku horror reviews and my latest dark scribblings. Speaking of which, if you haven't already picked up a copy of my cosmic biological folk horror novella, Moline, from D&T Publishing, you can find a copy of the paperback, hardcover, or ebook at Amazon, Godless.com, or joshesworstnightmare.com. Yours darkly, Josh Schlossberg.